we pray after that for, for the production, and, and may it be spoke through that as well. So, again, we thank you, Lord, for, for bringing us here safely and for um, us being able to be here without persecution. And just, Father, help us to know what a gift that is. So bless this service this morning, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to do things a little differently. We have our kids' production, as you know, but Heather and I also have a wedding to attend, and we need to, for one of our former youth, and we'll need to leave um, before the service is over. I don't know who gets married on a Sunday, but anyway, we'll bring that up later. And uh, this morning, I want to leave plenty of time for our, our children and their production and the play that we have, but I also want to spend a few moments highlighting the significance of the fourth week of Advent, which is love. And this one seems to be the easiest one for us to understand um, because, you know, we all know what love is. We know how to love people and um, both in our families and in our church and in our marriages and with our children. Um, But the reality is, is that we live in a pretty broken world and that brokenness can sometimes even permeate within the church. Uh, And so this morning, I would like to take some time to see how love is reflected in certain people's lives. Love is a central theme in the Christmas story. We see it weaved throughout. This mic is losing its mind, isn't it? Sorry about that. This will be much less distracting. Like I said, love is central to the Christmas story. Uh, It's an important piece. We see stories of love within the Christmas story, and we see the ultimate purpose of God the Father in sending his Son for us, which is his love for us. So I want to look at how love is reflected in the life of Joseph, and in the life of Mary, and then the implications of God's love in sending his Son. So first we see Joseph's love for Mary. And we're going to float between Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 in the two narratives of the Christmas story. So first it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 says that Joseph and Mary were betrothed, which means that they were engaged. In our context, this would clearly mean that they were in love. Who gets engaged and is not in love? But it marriage in Joseph's time was very different and was for often for many other reasons but love. 
marriages were typically arranged by parents, or at least the spouse's parents and the prospective husband. And often, marriages were for social or economic relationships more than romantic ones. And part of this betrothal would be the purity of the bride. It would have been an important piece of this engagement in the betrothal. So when Joseph found out that Mary was with child, he must have been crushed, embarrassed, and felt betrayed. Never mind a whole other host of, uh, of feelings and cultural issues and religious issues that would have went along with that. As far as Joseph knew, Mary had been unfaithful to him. So in this context, Joseph would have had a few different options. First, he could have married Mary anyway. Even though the child wasn't his own, but this would go against his convictions as a man of God. As a man who chooses to follow God's way and his laws. They lived under the law of Moses. He could have dragged her before the tribunal and had her tried for adultery. This would have been vengeful. Mary would have been publicly disgraced for certain, but possibly could have been sentenced to death by stoning, which the law allowed. Remember, Joseph and Mary were Jewish and lived under the law of Moses, dictated by the Pharisees. And this may seem harsh to some. Like, how could that be an option? How could Joseph ever even consider that? But if we're honest with our own hearts, when we are hurt, what's our reaction? Often... Unfortunately, our response is similar. We want vengeance. We want people to pay for what they've done. We want justice. We don't usually think about how can we repay love and forgiveness. We want people to pay. So this was an option for Joseph. He could make Mary pay. There was one more option, and we read about it in verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And I don't want us to miss the context here. This was Joseph's decision. This is what he already resolved to do, was what verse 19 says. And we know what comes in verse 20 when the angel appears and tells him to still make Mary his wife. But Joseph's decision, his resolve, reveals something about who Joseph is. He is a godly man and won't abandon his convictions. He is a just man. He also wants his little shame to come to Mary and for no possible physical harm to come to her. It reveals that he loves Mary. And I would argue at this point, Joseph probably doesn't romantically love her. But he loves her as another human. As a person, he loves her. He sees her as someone who deserves love. He has every right not to respond in that way, to show love to another human being. He has every right to take justice into his own hands. But instead, he chooses to love. Paul says in Corinthians 13, as he describes the love, the love that we are to have for each other as believers, that love always protects. Joseph showed love towards Mary, and in this love, we get a glimpse of what it really means to love others. Joseph had every right to make a different decision. No one would have blamed him. Some would have encouraged him. Probably his own family was encouraging him to make a different decision, to not bring shame upon them. Mary didn't deserve anything from Joseph. But he chose mercy, and he chose love. Secondly, we see Mary's love for Jesus. Now, it's natural to understand this love, the love for a mother and a child, um, a child who has been inside a mother, who has cared and nourished for this little one, who has 
endured for nine months of pregnancy, the pain of childbirth, the expectations that come with welcoming a baby, of course Mary would love Jesus. But we see other places in Scripture that show Mary's deep love for for him as well. In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it says, But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And in the context of that, we've we've looked at this chapter a few different times, but this is wedged right in between where the shepherds are. The shepherds come, and they see Jesus, and they begin to proclaim all that has been told to them, and then they leave uh, in verse 20, and they leave, and they continue to tell people, and this is this piece in the middle where Mary treasures up these things, pondering them in her heart. Treasured means to preserve or to keep in mind, to literally keep thinking about something so that you won't forget it. The word ponder translates, means to bring together or to think deeply or reflect on something. So these words together show us that Mary didn't want to forget a single detail of what was going on. She knew because of what was revealed to her and her husband that everything about this boy was significant. She kept running through the events that would happen over and over and over so she wouldn't forget them. She thought deeply about the things that were happening around her because of her son. Mary's love for Jesus was reflected in how captivated she was with him and the things that happened around them. She didn't want to forget or not remember a single thing because this boy came with a purpose. So we see this love of hers for her son while he is a baby, but we also see it near his death as well. In Luke chapter 2, Verse 34 to 35, as they bring Jesus to the temple, Simeon said this, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon revealed that there would be difficult times ahead for Jesus, and because of this, there would be difficult days for Mary as well. And we know that Jesus' life wasn't easy, that it was difficult. Jesus wasn't an ordinary son. Sometimes my mom says, I'm not an ordinary son, but that's a different level. Jesus, a different level. Um, And I don't mean he wasn't ordinary like, oh, he was so special. Every every mom thinks their son's special. Um, But the reality is Jesus wasn't ordinary. And we see examples of this, this... this difference between him and other sons, even amongst his mother in Scripture. He belonged to his father's heavenly purpose. He reminds his parents at 12 years old in Luke 2 when they're at the temple that that's why he's here, for his father in heaven. Jesus operated on his own schedule, one that was prepared by his father, not one that he, that he had made, one that had been made from his father and was clear that he was going to follow it. He made this clear to his mother at the wedding in Cana. But Mary was there. She witnessed his ministry. The hatred of the Pharisees towards her son. The amazement of his teachings of the crowds. The testimony of the healings he performed. And she was there at the cross. John 19, verse 25 to 27 says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and his disciple whom he loved, John, 
standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. This is a painful and yet beautiful part of Scripture. The agony that Mary must have felt watching her son hang on that cross. Yet the beauty of Jesus making sure that his mother, who nurtured him and protected him and followed him, was going to be taken care of by a close friend. Mary's love for Jesus is demonstrated in her love for him as a son, certainly. But it's just as importantly demonstrated in her love for him as her Savior and in the mission that he had. She was there. She followed him. She was a mother, but she was also a disciple. So out of these two stories of love, we see some practical implications. First, we see God's love for sinners. In Matthew 1, 20, chapter 1, verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, She will bear a son, Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is why he came, to save sinners. Something that was already foretold to his father. Joseph already knew this. He didn't understand what the implications were, what it was going to look like, but it was told to him. In the familiar verses of John three sixteen and 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 16 says that God loved the world. The world was not perfect. It wasn't worthy of his mercy or love. It didn't do anything to deserve it. Yet God loved the world. Verse 17 says that God was sent, that God's son was sent for the purpose of salvation. He was not sent for the purpose of condemning this world, but to save it. And this is paramount to the Christmas story. When was Jesus sent? What purpose was he sent for? The Father's love for sinners is all over this story. That he would send his son to grow into a man who would preach the good news of the kingdom, love people, heal the afflicted, be our example in life, suffer and die for your sins so that you may be forgiven, gloriously be resurrected in all power and authority to one day redeem all things for you to be with him for an eternity. And it all starts with this baby who is sent purposely out of love for sinners. For you and for I and for a world that is lost to know him. Secondly, we see our love for one another. The word makes it clear that there is an unbreakable connection between God's love for us and our love for one another. 1 John 4, 10-11 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he had loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's God's love for us that comes first. And this love is demonstrated most importantly in the price that Jesus paid for us. But out of that love, there should flow a natural love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that you? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do you just do it out of a burden or obligation? Is it a joy to you? A priority to you? A desire of your heart 
Does it come from your time that you spend with Jesus for your love for him? Does your love for others flow out of that? And loving one another is repeated several times in Scripture. It's one of the cutest things that's put in the Bible because it sounds so great and so easy. And of course we do it and nothing ever bad happens. And it's a conviction that we all share. That we are supposed to love one another. I mean, even in the the last conversation Jesus has with with his disciples, in the last few chapters of John, he mentions it like four times, four or five times. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. But what about if someone hurts us? What if a brother offends us? Or a sister disagrees with us? What then? You love them. You work through it. You seek forgiveness and reconciliation. You choose love. Christmas is often a reminder of how much God loves each one of you. But out of that love flows a love for one another. Is there someone who needs help in your life this Christmas? Is there someone you need to reach out to? Or to forgive? Or to make something right with? Is there someone you need to support? Or encourage? Or walk beside? What ways might God be calling you to love this season? Are you willing to love someone the way Joseph loved Mary? Because you just see them as a person who God loves, who God sent his son for. Someone who deserves love and mercy. Or are there conditions to your love? Are you captivated by Jesus the way Mary is? Do you love this Savior and understand who he truly is to you? Is he number one? Are you an example of how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Would you want people to imitate the way that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Each of these are challenging things, and we all fall short of them at times. I I know I do. But today as we're reminded of this love, the love that God has for us, the responsibility that we have to love one another, What ways might you take steps to live in love and be more passionate about loving others this season? What ways and steps might you take to live out love out more passionately this season? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come into this place and we can just spend a moment looking at your word. We're grateful for all of the ways that you love us. And we can spend hours going through scripture, seeing the ways that you've shown your love to us. It's so apparent. And in that love, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you would send your son. That he would be our example, but that he would take our sins. That you sent him for purpose. I pray that we would remember that this holiday season. And in that purpose, in that great love that we have for you, that we would recognize our responsibility in loving our brothers and sisters well. And how that is a beacon to the world. Help us to do it well. Help us to marvel at who your son is and all that he has done for us. Help us to love our brothers and sisters the way that you would call us to. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I will call Naomi up.